0: Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's discussion program. The discussion program brings together experts to reflect on a variety of current security issues facing Africa
1: at local, national and international levels. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guests are Marceline Odiambo from Kenya, founder of Grassroots Women and Politics, a communist-based organization, and Kaltoumi Abdulaziz from Nigeria who is the founder of Ladies' Empowerment Goals and Support Initiative. Both of them are currently fellows at the African Leadership Centre. Marceline is doing the Master's in Leadership and Development in London, while Kaltumi is a Women Fellow in Nairobi. Marceline, can you please tell us a bit about your organisation, Grassroots Women and Politics?
2: Thank you, Desmond. Grassroots Women and Politics organisation is based in... uh... Dewa constituency that is in Homa Bay County in Kenya. Our focus group is widows who are living with HIV and the widows that are invisibly disabled. We have the visibly disabled widows and also the invisibly disabled. So the invisibly disabled Mm -hmm. widows have often been neglected. So they're part of the focus group. And uh, we focus on creating political awareness, uh, sexual reproductive health and rights, uh, conflict and peace resolution, and also we deal with financial literacy within the community.
1: me, what about your organization, uh, Legacy?
3: Legacy is a women-led organization with a mission to raise a generation of highly empowered, educated and independent women. And of course, um, we put a lot of resonance in building women's um, capacity to be able to be part of decision-making, especially in their communities, which is also in resonance to some of the values expressed within the United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325, where a lot of emphasis was made on the role of women in peace-building, especially in participation, prevention, and also in post-conflict reconstruction. So specifically, we work with women and youth. However, we put more emphasis in supporting women in grassroots
1: communities. Marceline, how have you been coping with the entrenched societal dealings with women whereby they should be seen and not heard? I mean, has it been a struggle for you to establish your organization?
2: Yes, that has been a great challenge, especially in the rural areas where there is the gender roles and stereotyping of women. So in most cases, you find that in most uh, discussions that are held within the community, uh, that is from the local barazas and all that, women don't participate in those conversations, yet important uh, conversations are had that affect their lives. So yes. women are left to just have conversations in the market and all that. But when it comes to these spaces, they don't give the opinion because they feel this is a male area and they're the ones who are supposed to dominate. This also trickles down even into the churches because um, Kenya's predominantly a Christian community. So I point that even in the churches, women are supposed to carry themselves out in a particular way. So this also hinders them in participating, especially for us who are engaging them on political awareness, where the political space, it's again a male-dominated area. So it becomes a little bit tricky for them to venture into this space.
1: Uh, me, what about uh, Nigeria? I mean, you are pretty male in the north, isn't it? Which is a Muslim area of Nigeria. Uh, Do you encounter the same problems about men's reluctance to give women space in society?
3: That is correct. And um, permit me to say that, you know, this is no longer a new news because um, there has been an intergenerational resentment of women, you know, ostracized from being part of um, decision making. And of course, including in governance, as uh, my colleague Marceline have just uh, talked about. And this has not changed yeah, I mean, this is the 21st century, but it hasn't changed. There is still, you know, insignificant representation of women. Even the recent United Nations General Assembly, for that, you know, my stance to say that women are still underrepresented because, um, you know, in 1945, we have just four women signed the United Nations Charter. And this hasn't yes. changed much because 2022, we had four women represented in the General Assembly. So what this means is that, yes, there is a beautiful document with honest intention about women inclusivity. However, implementation is yet to set in. There is a a huge gap between virtual conviction versus reality because women are often and continuously, you know, marginalized, ostracized, and thwarted from taking um, part in meaningful engagement i mean i have been told so many times to go get married that i'm wasting my time in peace building work i have been told so many times that yes. it's not meant for a woman what i'm doing is not meant for a woman i have been told so many times that it's not that what i'm doing is not going to be successful and i think this is the major motivation that gives me that sense of commitment you know to yes. continue to do what i do to stereotype at the status quo of how community perceives women and the role of women in the community.
1: Marceline, have you also been told to get married and forget about your project?
3: Yes, not only in my project.
2: Even at the time when I was uh, intending to contest for the county assembly position, I was told yes. that I needed to get married first. And also, why am I intending to contest in an area where my dad comes from? I'm supposed to get married and go and contest from that area but if you look at it in the political dynamic women are told you should contest in an area where you are married those who contest in the areas that they are married like uh, our current uh, governor gladys wanga you are also still being told go back to your father's home and, and and contest there well men don't experience this this same challenge also with the organization itself the name grassroots women and politics it was an issue even when I was trying to register it because there is a way that politics is perceived it's like uh, when you talk about politics it means you are already aligned or something so you are expected to use more feminine names like women empowerment and all that but then this is what I want this is what I'm focusing on so that was also an issue and then most organizations don't focus on the political dynamic uh, within the organization so they see it as the politics only of those contesting for political positions and all that yet we don't understand that politics is even played within the household so yes for me it has been a great challenge
1: yeah but to me I think that uh, this thing about women not coming forward is well entrenched they themselves are not too keen to come forward in the first place aren't they because they just assume that Everything should be done by men. That's what the society has always pr- prescribed them.
3: Yeah, well, but then I think I kind of have a different um, perspective to that because, I mean, yes. women are custodians of our cultures and I don't blame too much on them because there's a lot of influence. Oftentimes you see women, you know, not owning their own decision because they are influenced by their husband, by their brothers, by family. There is a lot of societal expectations from women as to how we should live our life. So that existence, that patriarchy, you know, have kind of caused, um, you know, an imbalance in power. And I mean... How many times have we heard about elimination of discrimination against men? It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as um, fighting for men's rights. Compared to women, I mean, look at the 1979 CEDAW conference, the Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. I mean, look at the Beijing conference of 19. Look at the United Nations Security Council Resolution 3025. All of these resolutions focuses to amplify and advance the role of women in terms of leadership, in terms of their right, in terms of their opportunities. What that entails is that there is an existing gap and the world knows that there is an existing gap. However, putting an implementation plan has proved you know, difficult. And that is because we cannot run away from our reality that yes. there are certain expectations of women, even in politics. Yes, we keep talking about women's participation and all that. How about women's protection? We have seen a lot of women come out to vie for elective positions and they are killed in the process. I can give you several mm-hmm. examples of the 2020 yes. Nigerian election. I can yes. give you an example of Natasha Apogi State. She was mm-hmm. humiliated there were several attacks on her what is her offense just because she showed interest to be a leader so there are but so many factors who
1: were attacking her were they both men and women or was it just men i'm sure women were also telling her to step down weren't they
3: no not in her case this case is different i must tell yes. you that the narrative is changing. women are changing the narrative women are coming up with serious intention you know to yes. be part of the process we know that this has affected us in so many ways that we are unable to fulfill our potential and aspirations. So the narrative is changing and I quite disagree to that because in Kogi State women came out in large numbers with uniforms to protest and advocate to secure their right, to say that the mandates of women are taken from them especially in the case of Natasha. So that case was different. Look at the women that also came out in Yola. The same um, experience she won, but the mandate was forcefully and intentionally taken away from her because of the notions and, you know, um, statements as women cannot lead us, you know, and they always have a way of bringing cultural and religious, um, you know, to kind of, you know, buttress some of this um, belief of theirs. So it has nothing to do with women not mobilizing women. I do not agree with that. I agree that, yeah, there are areas to be improved on, but women are ready to be part of the process. If only we have that safe space to exercise and also to bring in our skills to the table. And that table is not there, even as we speak, but we are ready to create that table for ourselves.
1: Yes, but Marceline, that's the point. African women have always been the bedrock of the African family. They have maintained stable families. They've brought up the children, they've paid for school fees and they've managed the families quite well. So why can't they then be allowed to help in running the country? rather than just a small uh, family unit. Maybe things will change for the better because men have let the uh, the continent down, haven't they, in terms of leadership?
2: Well, I think the main problem is patriarchy and patriarchy is deeply rooted in us, be it men and women, because uh, we are a product of it. So you look at a case where, yes, a woman can be a natural and can be able to lead the family, provide and all that. But this ends at the service level, like the the lower levels. But when uh, we ascend into the... Power hierarchy, still predominantly the men. Why are women not in those spaces? Because sometimes there is internalized misogyny within women themselves too. Like there are cases where we doubt ourselves. You find that for example when you are doing an application for a job yes. for a woman, she doesn't have like two qualities, she will automatically dismiss herself like, I, I don't think I'll be able to succeed. But for a man, even if he only has two of those qualities and the rest he doesn't have, he'll take the shot. It comes with the level of confidence building that we need to build up for the women and uh, make them feel like they are also capable of venturing into this spaces But also another hindrance is the kind of violence that women experience when they venture into areas that are predominantly male. This is uh, the physical abuse, the social media abuse that people experience. I've been a, a victim of uh, cyberbullying, so I know how it affects you as a person. But,
1: but uh, Kaltumi, there are two types of women in Africa the rural women and the city women. The city women seem to have their way, they seem to make a lot of impact. Whereas in rural areas, there is still a traditional uh, society. Does that work? The differences in women living in the city or urban areas and those in the rural area, or are they all lumped together?
3: You are correct to sort of um, give um, a kind of hierarchy. You know, when you're talking about women in the rural areas and also those in the urban areas. However, yeah. I would like to also um, attest to the fact that women in the rural areas are doing a lot. You know, to make changes. It's just that nobody is there to capture their stories. And that is where the gap, that that is where exists. Women are doing amazing. There are so many women who are taking upon advocacies, you know, to change narratives in their communities. There are women who are leading and also creating changes no matter how little it's just that oftentimes we do not recognize and capture the stories of these women and that brings me to the um to say that you know just saying that everything rises and falls with leadership and it is funny how women are often uh, believed not to have the intellectual capacity and competencies to be leaders however yeah. these same women are the ones who instill the skills that men have. I mean, who give birth to men? It's a woman who give them the skills that they have to lead. It is women. But when Mm. it comes to leadership roles, we do not remember that women are custodians and women are the teachers and that women are the resilient group of people who, despite different circumstances, still come out strong and happy and and able to accommodate, you know, all forms of um, atrocities that is being um, committed. And also... I would like to also highlight the fact that when you talk about um, leadership, it is not a competition. Sometimes people make it seem like, oh, women are trying to forget about their roles and to take upon leadership role, which is not a socially ascribed role to women. In mm-hmm. 2017, research that 1.8 billion of the global population are young people and half of this population are women. And yeah. if we getting it wrong, not women in leadership spaces. We should be asking ourselves these questions. There are so many stories that we should learn from. I mean, look at the Liberia women. Look at the level of commitment and effort that they put to bring about um, peace and women inclusivity.
1: There is a
3: lot. Women have inbuilt skills that is yet to be harnessed because they're not given the opportunity to explore them.
1: But Marceline, uh, Martha Karua did quite well in the uh, election last year as uh, Rilo Odinga's running mate. I mean... Did that make a difference in the way women were viewed in the political sphere in in Kenya?
2: Well, uh, all we know about Martha is that uh, she's not corrupt, uh, as it's popularly known. And also, it was felt like by having the gender balance, uh, women to feel more represented because, like... uh, Half of the population in Kenya is female. So when you see a woman in a particular position, you feel like that she'll represent my interest and all that. But then now when we went back to the elections and then uh, she couldn't even win in her own polling station, it brought a lot of question marks because women also uh, come from that area. And uh, they are also voters and women are also still the majority of the voters. How come she even lost in in that?
1: They didn't vote for her, so what's the problem? It
2: doesn't bring in the conflict that people think women are against each other. People have their Mm. preferences. In the same, same county, the governor Waiguru is also a female. So it, it's not about women not supporting other women, but it's about the preferences that someone have. Another woman can be better in a particular situation and another is not. So it also plays on the dynamic of politics. Where did she align herself and uh, where is the political situation of the country heading towards? So it's also about the alignment, if we look at it, and political parties' dynamic.
1: About Kaltumi, me, I mean, this issue of women trying to assert their authority. It's not just focused uh, focus on Africa. It's a global issue. I mean, where is Africa and the hierarchy of all these, uh, all these problems? Is Africa way down or has Africa made a little progress in terms of women's uh, empowerment?
3: Yes, it is. But um, I must say that um, there are some level of progress. However, there is still um, a lot of effort to be put in place to ensure that uh, we kind of strike some certain percentage of women inclusivity. Because um, taking Nigeria, now speaking to context, taking Nigeria for an example, I think, um, you know, the opportunity for women to kind of take upon um, elected positions has drastically reduced in the year 2000, down to 2023. The percentage has reduced to five, as at 2000, that's about 12%. And drastically, it deteriorated to a point of 5%, meaning that it is not improving, you know, to be precise. Usually, um, yes, we see women who are giving up, um, you know, appointed positions, but in elective positions, no. I mean, when last did we have a female governor in Nigeria? These are the questions we should be asking. When last did we have a, a woman as a vice president? You know, those kind of um, positions that allows for women to have influence, you know, and the ability to speak to power, to influence policies that can impact lives. I mean, the essence of power is to be able to make a change. There's limitation as to what we can do as women and the position that we hold as women. Because um, at the end of the day, there's a level of hierarchy, like Marceline have rightly pointed out, where people are able to assert power to make certain changes. And those are the Mm -hmm. levels that women are taking upon such roles. We're not talking about secretary. We're not talking about personal assistants or special advisor. No, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about positions. Mm -hmm. And can contribute in a meaningful and in a constructive way and that is why it is important that we begin to institutionalize cultures and frameworks that allows for meaningful engagement of women giving women chances and safe spaces for them to contribute because you know one of the areas of research that i'm really really interested in is to begin to talk about those hidden violences that women go through in politics Women don't talk about it because of the society. The society will use it against you. You know, it's so easy for a woman to be called all sorts of names. Once you come out as a woman to vie for a political position, you are called all manner of name. Oh, she's a prostitute. Oh, she's stubborn. In fact, they hardly differentiate between confidence and being called stubborn. There are all manner of name that will be called. But that is not the case for men. Nobody calls a man a prostitute. No, this name is always attributed to women. Why? Because you come out to seek for your fundamental basic right. This is the reality. And this is what we are talking about. Recently, I was in a panel of discussion with some group of men. And somebody, I brought him to say, traditional leader. He said, how can a woman be a leader? For instance, now we can be having a meeting and she's having her menstrual cycle. Or we are told that a woman is in labor. And I mean, what kind of idiosyncrasy. What kind of mindset is that? A woman gave birth to this person that is saying this type of thing. How is it something that stops a woman to participate, you know, as a leader? I mean, it is not an offence. Menstrual cycle is natural. It is not an offence for women to be held onto that fact to say that, you know, these are factors that can limit them. So, yeah, I think um, we have a, a lot of work to be done.
1: Yeah, but you see, Carl, to me, there's been a retrograde situation regarding women. Because I mean, West African history is replete with women leaders who fought against the colonialists, including uh, Fela Kuti's mom. She was a solid opponent to the, to the British colonial rule in Nigeria, and she was feted. But once you have Africans in charge, they then sidelined women. So what went wrong then in Nigeria? Because, you know, West African women have been very powerful before independence in terms of challenging the status quo
3: absolutely you can also highlight and give example of queen amina of zaria who yes. led her committee she led men solid men to war to secure you know her state that is for you to see that women are capable if given the chance to take upon these roles and we cannot again overemphasize issues around patriarchy and what you know cultural norms Doors to the mind of people because that is the very first step of um, sense of discrimination that is often ascribed to women. They said, Oh, our culture does not allow women to do this, or our religion does not allow women to do this. There are so many innovations that are deviations, there are so many technologies that are extreme. You know, and that is why we also talk about moderation and sense of inclusion when we are designing programs whose focus is to kind of um change the narrative as to how people think about women or who a woman is and the roles of women in the society. And well, it hasn't been easy, but I would say that we are heading there. Uh, we hope that in the future and sooner enough, you know, the society begin to realize that um, without women in the society, we still have a long way to talk about development. Because women are natural peace builders, women are natural leaders, women are natural mediators, women are natural problem solvers. Women are a set of a group of people that they are able to bring a solution to issues at all levels that you engage them. All that we need is a safe space to harness all these skills. That is it. And for our men to realize. It's not a competition. It is not feminism. Because when you begin to talk about women's rights, because women's rights are human rights, when you begin to talk about it, the first thing they call you, oh, she's a feminist, or she's a misandrist. No, nobody is a misandrist. We do not hate men. I mean, we have fathers, we have brothers, we have husbands. I am married, so why will I hate a man? No, we are saying that as much as we understand the role of men, their natural roles and the socially ascribed roles given to men, we also need women to play their roles also, so that at the end of the day we have a chain and a link of connectivity we have a holistic approach in bringing about development to our society and not just focusing and giving opportunities you know to men but also giving and supporting women to allow them to bring their skills and to harness their potentials in bringing about constructive and transformational changes in the society
1: yes Marceline I mean do you have the same problem in Kenya because I'm sure during the fight against British colonial rule, women also played a strong role in, in the Mau Mau struggle. Uh, can you give us some examples on how things developed over the years?
2: I think women like Mekati really played an important role, but uh, when you look at uh, the role that women played even during that uh, colonial period, during the Majimaji Maji rebellion and all that, it was not recorded in history. Like it's just known locally within the storytelling, but uh, history, as often ignored or not recorded the role that women played. Or even if it's recorded, it's made to look like it's what they're supposed to do. Like mm. uh, ensuring that the men had the food, the women who hid the warriors and all that. It, it's made to look like it's, it's what they are supposed to do, and it's something small. Either if it's not downplayed, it's not recorded. So we have so many women who played a role, but just because they are not in the history books doesn't mean that they don't exist. So that's why the role of women has often been
1: downplayed and ignored. Well, since I'm a journalist and a communicator, why don't I mean you, uh, your organization, start recording these things in writing? That will help to change perceptions of women in Kenya, and also uh, Nigeria.
2: Yes, I I don't have a choice because at least uh, for the sake of their own visibility and also for people to understand the history of where women come from and not to make it look like women are not supposed to be in the leadership positions. Like some of us have got uh, political interests and uh, we really want to be in the political space, to be in those tables that uh, decisions are being made and also to bring different kind of changes that we want to experience in our countries. But then we have also our limitations, but some are because of how we were raised, the way I keep on saying that uh, patriarchy is deeply rooted in us. So even if we want to make these changes, it will take a longer time changing the mindset of older people as compared to the younger ones. That's why the focus area should be more of teenagers and uh, younger women and the youth because that is where we form the mindset that we have. We also need to change the way that people relate within the environment because environmental factors affect how we make our decision. No matter how firm I am with my decisions and how I do things, if I'm in an environment that is uh, predominantly patriarchal, I'll internalize all these things and I'll later project them in one way or another, knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah, so environment also should be... A factor to consider when we are trying to educate we are trying to empower the women to be active and also to participate in different areas of leadership
0: you're listening to the discussion program on the alc pan-african radio stay tuned
1: welcome back my guests are marceline odiambo from kenya a founder of grassroots women and politics a community-based organization and kaltumi abdulaziz from nigeria who's founder of ladies empowerment goals and Support Initiative Legacy. They're both actually current fellows at the African Leadership Center. Marceline is doing a master's in London, and Kaltumi is doing a women's fellowship in Nairobi. So what about uh, financial support for your organization, Marceline? I mean, is this strong enough to help you to achieve what you want to achieve? Where's the financial support coming from?
2: Well, the major challenge that uh, most organizations face, including mine, is the financial support. And uh, that is something that is a problem because uh, it has hindered me from being able to engage and uh, empower more women. So we have to limit ourselves to maybe per quarter, maybe like 10 women. If we had better financial support, we would maybe mm. do like uh, more than that, maybe 30 or so. But um, the financial support that I have currently comes from my own savings or investments and also um, donations from friends especially when i post on social media and then someone says oh you can use this for this and that so and uh, also applying for grants here and there which is unpredictable because uh, understanding the dynamic of how organizations uh, give grants it's so difficult plus also with the application process when you are getting grants there are also some things you need to adhere to that uh, favor that particular organization, whether it's uh, maybe if it's something that is, is going against your principles, uh, you can either choose to the money or decline because it's something that you're not championing for. So there's also those issues that come into play. But generally, finances is a big issue. I think it's it's the elephant in the room.
1: Kaltumi, your organization seems to be doing quite well, actually. How solid is it financially and, and uh, morally in terms of support?
3: Yes, um, thank you for that question. When Legacy was founded in 2017, it was like a a movement of um, passionate, you know, I had an amazing team who were also passionate about the work that I was doing. So basically we did kind of, I used personal funds and also got donations as well from community members who believed in what I was doing. Um, However, that couldn't really make a lot of um, impact because I mean, funding, it's, um, I'll call it a tool, you know, to facilitate Mm. um, programming and what have you? Um, but um, in 2020, Peace Direct, it's an intergovernmental organization in the UK. They found me through. Mm. Um, there was a platform where I spoke as a panel, and I made a lot of emphasis on the need for decolonization and localization of funds for locally led initiatives, especially those led by women because oftentimes when there is a call for application and when you look at the huge requirement it automatically just kicks us out of the competition and then you see there's so many bureaucracies and there are so many like i said again criterias for instance that we ask you for like 15 years of experience and then they will ask you for five years of audited account i mean that i'm a young person you don't expect me to have all that kind of years of experience i mean and Rome is not built in a There is need for, you know, INGOs to also begin to change their strategies as to giving funds to organizations because, you know, there is need to build the capacity and the structures of existing organizations who are doing amazing because, I mean, there are always ways of doing your due diligence check to ensure that these organizations have the power and the system and the structures to handle funds, not just in an effective way, but in an efficient way. And I'm happy that today Legacy has funded more than 10 locally-led initiatives by women and youth in local communities. Legacy has been able to fund these organizations. Even individuals, as long as you have an amazing and innovative idea that is authentic and genuine and that brings out real change in your community, we fund you. And um, so we've been doing that for three years now, and you'll be amazed and you'll be awed by the impactful stories that we have captured you know from communities and what this entails or what this tells is that when you allow people affected by conflict themselves to own the process of peace building and you support them you know you guide the process but you allow them to own the the design the planning and implementation of these homegrown solutions you'll see that it is more sustainable when you form structures or when you leverage on existing structures in the communities by strengthening these structures and maybe creating a link of interconnectedness between community level and state level engagement, you see that there is a holistic and there is a genuine you know, approach to the peace building um, initiatives in communities. And so far, so good, I would say that we are moving beyond conflict resolution to conflict transformation, where we are focusing on the root causes of conflict and not treating symptoms as a lot of civil society organizations have done for a long time. We do need assessment. We have what we call the community accountability reporting and reflection mechanisms that allow us to get suggestions from conflict habituated communities to give us feedback on how they want our intervention to suit the context of the conflict in their communities. And we also have the gender equity, diversity, and social inclusion Framework that allows us to design specific activities that target young people, women, and youth in a way that it builds their capacity and their interpersonal skills to be able to um, facilitate dialogue and even a uh, formal mediation process at community level. So, so far, we also document these stories. And um the reason why we integrated um visual documentation is because sometimes you know written narratives or reports does not show emotions. You know, it does not show people's passion. But when you do you know documentaries where you allow people to tell their own stories, it allows the audience and people who yes. don't even know this local you know, to see mm-hmm. the passion in that they have and the effort that they are making in changing um, the narratives in their communities.
1: Marceline, I mean, the opposition women and young people are facing in Africa, uh, I think should be highlighted because, I mean, the the African Union, which is talking about 2063 for uh, a better Africa, who's the way you're talking to? Because you are the young people who should now be prepared for leadership in 2063, but not these leaders. They won't be around. So how can you then try to let them know that they should support you and your organization to ensure that the right leadership is in Africa by 2063. Or else, I mean, the the continent will be open for the uh, exploitation.
2: Well, I think it's uh, for the young people to start by supporting each other first. Like, if I like what, for example, Kaltumi is doing, she's in the peace building and I'm in the political space. These things are intertwined and related. So if you can start by supporting each other at the local level first, And also starting from where you are, like, I'm not that financially capable, but because I saw a gap within the community and decided like, this is what I want to do. And this is the match that I can be able to do. And then you see another young person doing something almost similar, maybe in relation to, for example, peace building, the way Kaltumi is, you partner and come together. You start from within you. You start by working together. And this will also attract other young people to come and volunteer and work with you and all that. With that, I think you'll be able to rise. And with the numbers, uh, you can push forward one person or more people so that uh, the leaders who are currently existing to know that this is a different generation, how they approach things and how they view things and how they view leadership is not the same as the way we've been doing things. So how can we incorporate them? How can we bring them on board to also bring in the different perspective that they have based on their generation? Because... Most of the things that are done with the older leaders uh, the younger people cannot relate because they have a different experience they have different challenges they have different approaches uh, in how they handle things the older generation maybe for example really prioritize having a, a formal employment as compared to the current generation that everyone wants to do something from themselves so that they have freedom to learn more skills to explore their talents and all that. It's not particularly academic related, like in the olden days, but then now the approach really matters and it's so different for different generations. So by looking at this dynamics and also for the young people to come together and support each other, because in most cases you see like, when we have young leaders, uh like for the example, the Bobby wine from uh, Uganda. Uganda. Yeah, yes. you, you come into a space where you find that there is this say that uh young people in Kenya, uh, like saying that, uh, as a youth, if you decide to go for a position, you have to use one hand to fight for that position and you also have to use the other hand to fight the other youth fighting you. So how can you fight when you're already divided? You know. So we also need to be supportive of each other.
1: The division is fine. I mean, that's what life is all about. But the point is, I mean, why do young people, mainly men, fall for that the trap? with the politicians uh, place for them every five years they use them and then they discard them look at what's happened in kenya uh, president ruto promised all sorts of things now uh, the young people who backed him are struggling so how can your organization in terms of not just women young people who are the future of the continent uh, strengthen their own control over uh, politicians uh,
2: by first acknowledging that uh, uh, power and position will never be handed to you. Sometimes you have to be radical and take up space. It starts from you and uh, the knowledge that you already have. And I think the young people are often used because of uh, availability. Young people are often available and have a lot of energy. So <laughs> the gullibility among the young people, we are so gullible. Like if we see an opportunity that we are able to be seen on the limelight and all that, you find that. Uh, young people actively participate. And this also comes from the point of not having something to do after graduation or something. People don't have jobs. So when they see such an opportunity to be out there, they take it as an advantage of something to keep them going and keep the days going. So it's easier for leaders to use young people. And then now when division is being done in terms of um, allocation of roles, it's allocated to the old people. Like even if you look at uh, the dynamic of the CS positions in Kenya and also the CS positions in Kenya. It's supposed to be for the youth, but if you look at it predominantly, it's it's for the rich and uh, the old people who have been in politics, uh, as people call them, political rejects, people who campaign. Mm -hmm. Bite and lost, now they're being rewarded for those positions when the youth are supposed to be there. But why is this happening? Because the young people are also so much disadvantaged in terms of finances, and uh, when it comes to leadership positions, especially in Africa, financial muscle is a powerful tool.
1: Yeah, that's the point I want to uh, make to, come to me. You see, this is the problem. Last 30 40 years, what do young people know about politics? It's just to get there, hang on to power, and steal money left. right said, We do not have leaders. Who can show them the way like 40, 50 years ago? So what can young people do to make sure that things change? Because they don't know anything else about politics apart from hanging on to power and lining your pockets. What's and your organization doing in terms of uh, changing this perception about politics among young people?
3: I'll respond to that by saying that um, it is the older generation who created that mindset in the system who also have come to, you know, to that term of... Um, of mindset that, you know, um, politics is just about um, looting. And even in, in some cases, state capture. I mean, when you begin to divert public uh, funds, you know, into private belonging, as if it's a family wealth, you know, that is state capture as well. And yeah. I will I'd also like to reiterate and to add some points to what Marceline have highlighted. Because if you recall vividly, you may be aware, there was a time that there was this huge advocacy on the not too young to run bill. Mm -hmm. Yes, the not too young to run bill was quite successful because it was able to capture a lot of audience. But I would categorically say that I am not too young to run, but I am too poor to run. Because Mm. I mean... For me to come out to vie for a political position in, for instance, my country, Nigeria, I can't even afford to buy the forms. Because just to get the form of interest, so that you're interested, it's in millions. So it is an intentional, you know, um, strategy to, to kind of thwart young people from participating. And that is why democracy has become, you know, something that is only meant for the rich. And that is why you see the leadership it has become like a cycle where people move from one political party to the other, but you have the same people moving from one political party to the other, with no room for an ordinary Kalsumi or an ordinary Marceline, you know, to compete with them or, or to come into that space because we do not have the financial capacity and capability to do that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, uh, both of you, uh, Marceline, you can join the system, join the parties and start changing from within. Don't you agree with that? You, you can't
2: just go to room.
1: Join a party.
2: But when you say we join parties, parties are already formed, they already have the existing structures. And even if you look at it, yes, they have the youth focus. Even if you start at that, the politics that is played, especially within the political parties, is even worse than the politics being played outside the political parties. Because they are key decision makers, they are people who are. Stuck in those places. They are the ones who make the rules. I've seen so many young people align themselves with political parties, they fight so hard, they campaign. But then now, when it comes to allocation of um, position or even for them to contest in a particular area, they don't get funding from this political party. They will have to look for something unique about themselves that they can capitalize on. You know, you really have to work twice as hard as someone older and who is financially capable not because you're young, but because like Altumi says, you don't have the finances. And financial muscle is important, even within the political parties. When you're going to buy the membership card, what are you going to use as a young person? And look at it in the dynamic that you don't have, have lots of income. So yes. are you going to look for your survival or you're going to invest in something that some people are using the extra money they have, but you, you're you using the money you have for your basic needs. So it's still a problem.
1: But, but that's very good. I mean, both organizations are very ambitious and they did quite well. Don't you think that this is a start? It's better for you, such organizations, to form have a solid network throughout the continent and then that will start uh, bringing about changes. What do you think about that, Kaltumi?
3: are correct. Jerry is saying that, um, you know, an ability without an opportunity is nothing. And yes. I think um, that is why, personally, I do not take for granted, you know, the importance of networking and building my interpersonal um, capacity because yeah. you know sometimes the only way that we are able to prove to people that we can do it is when they see us doing it is when they see that you have the capacity to do it. So that is why it is important that we continuously build our capacity to be able, you know, to sit on that table. And when given the opportunity, you know, you do the needful. Networking, it's something we're already doing, trust me. For instance, I partnered with the African Women Leaders um, Program. They are based yes. um, in the UK. They also- branch in Nairobi. I also partnered with so many other organizations just to see that we create a strong network where Mm -hmm. we are able to begin to change that status quo and where we are able to begin to push for ideas that support women um, inclusivity in the democratic space. And trust me, I agree with you to say that for us to make some of these changes, we need to be part of the process. I totally agree with you, but you'll be surprised that young people are joining politics. Personally, there was a time I transitioned into politics. I was part of the Young Progressive Party where I took the position of the deputy. I've even forgotten the, the, the position. It wasn't working. People continue to look at me as a young person. And when they are going out for you know that high level engagement and discussion, they don't go with me. They leave me behind mm-hmm. just to take notes mm-hmm. and all that. That is the reality. So even, even the democracy that we are talking about, it is now a democracy of selection and not election. Most of these positions that are given to people is like a reward for your role as a campaigner or for giving financial um, contribution or for for mobilizing. You know, these are now ways where positions are now given to people. It has gotten as bad as that. So Mm -hmm. what would you have us do as a young person when you find yourself in that kind of space? You cannot force things to happen your way. So the only thing we can do is to continue to campaign, continue to advocate, and continue to have platforms like the one you are giving us right now, where yes, our voices good. can be heard, where opportunities can be given to us, you know, to give us a chance to see what we well, can do.
1: I, I was yeah. about to say the weakness, and that's what uh, my mentorship, in media and communications will bring. The weakness we have in Africa is lack of communication. I mean, uh, that those in authority, including your organizations, don't communicate effectively with the people. You know, unlike Europe and America, the communication from those in authority uh, is very effective. So that's what we'll try and develop. Yes, it's a good idea that you will be able to uh, communicate effectively. But uh, Marceline, I mean, you have plans to uh, enter politics in 2027. Is that correct? Yes, I do about you, Kaltumi? Are you going to go into full-fledged politics? Absolutely.
3: Mm. I have plans to transition into politics. In fact, sometimes my dreams do scare me because I am intentional wanting to be president of my country someday. I do not know yes. how fast that is going to be, but I believe that it is something that is possible. If I have the right network, if I have yes. the right uh, mentors. If I have the right platform where people recognize the work that I am doing and showcase the work that I am doing and where I continue to prove myself, to show to them that I'm not just making noise, it's not just talk, but working the talk through actions to prove myself to them intellectually and capacity-wise to show that I have what it takes to take upon leadership roles. And with, of course, um, support from people, we create platforms for intergenerational dialogue where we talk about some of these challenges and how we can profile solutions to how we can better work together and for young people not to be seen as agent of violence but to also see us as ambassadors of peace to see us as ambassadors and future you know of africa as a continent i think this yes. will go a long way to change narratives of what our society looks like today
1: celine despite all the problems are you confident that uh, your organization will make a change because i mean I have seen such organizations around in my years of journalism. They're worn down by the, the pressures in society and then the collapse. I mean, is your organization resilient enough to survive all the socioeconomic pressure in Kenya?
2: So far, we are doing so much. And also, I think we have local support, which was very important. Initially, we didn't have that, but uh, we have the local support. So with that, we can navigate any other thing. As long as you have the local support uh, in a community-based organization, you are safe to go.
1: Okay. Kaltuma, are you also confident that uh, a legacy will eventually make a difference in Nigeria?
3: Absolutely. We are standing the test of time. And trust me, we are crossing wires to create sparks, starting Mm -hmm. from community level to international level. We are trying to maintain that standard that ensures that um, we we are intentional, we are committed, and um, we are forming, you know, a genuine structure with a genuine vision and mission, and not just um, for any sort of financial benefit, not at all. We are very, very much intentional and passionate to bring about real change, constructive change, and transformational change to the society at large.
1: Marceline Odiambo from Kenya, founder of Grassroot Women and Politics, a community-based organization, and Kaltumi Abdulaziz from Nigeria, founder of Ladies and Parliament Goals and Support Initiative Legacy. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the discussion program on the ALC Pan-African Radio. For this and other programs, please visit our website at alcafricanradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at radioalc.com and on Facebook at ALC Radio numeral number one. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.